welcome to the Palmwood Podcast, part of the teaching ministry of Palmwood Church in Oviedo, Florida, where we love God extravagantly, love people with humility, and mentor others to do the same. Here's Pastor John with an introduction for this week's message. Thanks, David. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Palmwood Podcast. We're returning to our series on true worship, taking some time to define such worship in terms of three key components, reverence, a healthy fear of God, adoration, a demonstrated love for God, and glory, faithful obedience to God that displays His majesty in our lives. Today we look at the second part of that definition, adoration. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Everything about our relationship with God is based in love. That includes our worship. What does adoration, this authentic and demonstrated love of God, look like? And what does it foster as we worship? That's the topic of today's message. Today's text is going to come from Joshua chapter 22, Joshua chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half the tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I commanded. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Now the Lord your God has given them rest as he promised. Return to your homes in the land of Moses, the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord gave you to love the Lord your God to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. There is a point in the book of Revelation where something is said that actually scares me as a pastor. Now, I know the book of Revelation is scary to a lot of people, what I've always said is that um, for those that are not in Christ, the book of Revelation should be a scary book. But I've read the end, so for those that are, are in Christ, the book of Revelation actually is a book of hope. There's a lot of kind of challenging stuff in there, but it ends well for those that are in Christ Jesus. But in chapter 2, there is a statement that Jesus himself makes to the church at Ephesus that does scare me. And... It was in our call to worship this morning. As he talks to the church at Ephesus, he begins by commending them on a lot of stuff that they're doing well. I don't know if you caught that. But it starts well. But then right in the middle of that section, as he's, he's talking to the church at Ephesus, he says something that, boy, it just really stops me in my tracks. He says, but this I have against you. Whoa, wait a minute. He's talking to the church. This I have against you. And do you remember what it was he had against the church at Ephesus? 
You have lost your first love. Actually, the word there in the Greek language is you have forsaken. It's not lost like you misplaced it. It's lost like you walked away from it. You divorced yourself from it. Really, I mean, it's a radical word. You have forsaken your first love. What is that first love? It's our relationship with him. It's our relationship with him. He's talking to a church. Now, this scares me because the church at Ephesus in the rest of the New Testament is a poster child for church done well. It starts in Paul's missionary journeys and then things get rolling. It becomes a very important church. Ephesus was a major town. It was a major city. It was this, to have a church at that hub in, in Ephesus was a big deal and it was a good church and it was an active church and it was influencing a lot of people right in the, 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 the main town where the, the temple of Diana was. And so there's a lot of temple worship stuff going on, a lot of trade going on. It was a big deal. And it was such an important thing that, that Paul began to realize, okay, I have to have feet on the ground here that I really have a relationship with. And so do you know who Paul made the pastor of the, of the church at Ephesus? Timothy. Timothy, his son in the faith. The, the, the one that he most invested in. He says, you know what, I, Timothy, this is a big deal. I've got to put you in charge of Ephesus. And we watch historically as that church begins to blossom and grow and has a tremendous kingdom impact. And First and Second Timothy are Paul's letters to his son in the faith while he's pastoring that church, see? And by the time Second Timothy is written, you can see that there's some growing pains and things going on. But Timothy is pastoring the church at Ephesus, and the church at Ephesus is a big deal. But something happens between Second Timothy... And Revelation chapter 2, we don't have a whole story. We don't have that part of the story in there. But something happens where Jesus now says, um, yeah, you're doing a lot of things, but you're no longer doing the one thing that I need you to do. You've forsaken your first love. And then he says to the church at Ephesus, repent and go back and do the things you did at first. Go back to the beginning and do the things you did at first. Friends, when it comes to love and adoration, especially with the first love, the church at Ephesus might be our biggest flashing red light in Scripture about what happens when adoration is lost. In a sense, if we can kind of encapsulate the three parts of our definition, here's the way I would convey it to you. Reverence, awe, is what we experience in worship. Adoration, love, is what we do in worship. And glory, exaltation, is what we give in worship. And today, we really are talking nuts and bolts. Let's pray. Jesus, some of the things that you spoke to me just even this morning 
have so filled my heart, I pray, Lord, that you will give me the ability by your Holy Spirit to convey them to these, your precious people as well. And so, Jesus, once again, I pray, get me out of the way. And may the, the thoughts that come into my head that are translated into to words that come out of my mouth, may they all be yours, Jesus. May I simply be the vessel for the message you have for your people this day. And my prayer really is simple because it's my own prayer. Teach us how to adore you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, when I started talking about adoration, I had a whole bunch of different passages on love and adoration and praise that were running through my head. Frankly, I, I really thought we were going to be preaching through some psalms today. And, and as I prayed through it and, and really processed this, the Lord brought me to a place that I did not expect that actually gives us a beautiful definition of what the psalms actually express. So today it's more defining what adoration is, and then those psalms that we could look at, and some of them are actually listed in the outline, uh, are the expression of, of those things. We're actually going to Joshua at the end of the battle, Joshua 22, where Joshua now speaks to a particular group of tribal leaders from Israel. God bless you. From Israel. Um, how many of you know that love is not, love, biblical love, is not a feeling? Biblical love is a decision. Now, it's a wonderful thing when the feelings go along with the decision. The feelings aren't bad, but they aren't really love. Love is a choice. Love is expressed through our actions. Our passage today focuses on a discussion between Joshua, who is now the leader of Israel. He's fo he followed Moses after Moses died. Joshua now, the leader of Israel, has led them through all the battles to finally, they've crossed the Jordan, and they, they finally have taken on all of the various ites in Canaan to take the, the promised land to be their own. So they've, they've taken on the Jebusites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Herazites, all the different ites. They've, they've taken them all. And now the land belongs to them. This is the land that God promised back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then there's the wandering generation that blew it. Now they're finally there. The time has come for them to enjoy the fruit of their labors and the plunder from their battle. And so he pulls aside the leaders of three tribes, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. Now I don't know whether you know the story well enough that those names ring a bell with you. But Reuben was the oldest son of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. So Reuben is the oldest tribe of Israel. You follow? It's, he's, the, he's the oldest son. Now Reuben, generally speaking, was a, a pretty powerful, for good dude, but he made some really, really bad decisions, one of which was sleeping with his, one of his father's wives, and so that got he, he lost the birthright of being the firstborn because of that. And so there's, there's some shady stuff in the story. Uh, Gad has his stuff, and then Manasseh is from Joseph's lineage, 
and there's some, some wayward things in there. So uh, this is not a, a sermon about all the waywardness. It's just to kind of give you the color, the, the color history for a moment. These three tribes had some stuff in their background. Actually, all the tribes had stuff in their background, but these three in particular had some stuff in their background, and they had been, and I'm just going to use a word so we can move on with the message today, but they had been opportunistic, and we'll just we'll leave it at that. They had taken advantage of some people, including their own brothers. But, but, when it came to the battles to take the promised land, they were faithful. They did the job. They supported the work. And in particular, Reuben was known for military prowess. That tribe, the warriors of that tribe, were absolutely vital to taking Canaan. And so now... The battle is over. And Joshua, the leader now in in Moses' place, is speaking to the tribal leaders of these three tribes and he is going to bless them and by way of instruction, warn them. The sad news is they became opportunistic again and it was their downfall, but that's, that's later in the story. For today... It's good news, and it's out of this good news conversation that we get what I believe now, after the study this week, is one of the clearest definitions of what the Bible calls adoration that we can find. And it's, it's a very unlikely place, but it's, it's what, well, you'll see. Joshua blesses them, and he warns them. The first thing that we see in verses 1 through 3 is that they have fulfilled the the mission of the Lord. After the Israelites have now wandered for an entire generation because of their sin, because they, they did not believe God, only Joshua and Caleb were the believing spies, and so after that entire generation had died off except for two, Joshua and Caleb, now their children and grandchildren followed Joshua and Caleb into the promised land. And because Joshua had been faithful even to Moses, he was the one that God selected to be the the one to follow Moses as the the leader of of all of Israel. Um, The Reubenites, in particular, helped that in, in, in battle. They've experienced victory, and now they are experiencing blessing and rest from God. We see that in verse 4. I'd also tell you in your own time, take a look at verses 6 through 8 because it gives a little more information about the kind of blessing and the plunder that they were able to take. God has fulfilled his promise. He was with them in the battle. They were victorious. He gave them the land. They were victorious over its wayward uh, inhabitants. And now was the time to rest in the beautiful peace that he was giving them. But, but, here's the thing we've got to understand. Yes, they could rest, but they still had ongoing responsibilities. Rest is not inactivity. Rest is not forgetting the past. Rest is not forgetting the call of God on their lives. So they still have these important things they have to do, and it's here in verse 5 that we begin to get the picture. They are still to keep the commandments given them by Moses. The commandments don't go away just because they're now in the promised land. Do you follow? Listen to what Moses said 
back in Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 and 13. He said, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and observe the Lord's commandments and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Does this sound familiar? We have, not too long ago, we looked at Micah 6.8. You see Micah 6.8 in there? Hear, O man, what does the Lord require of you but to what? Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Can you see that? In, in what? So Micah's way in the future, and yet here way at the beginning. So we're bookending the life of the, the people of Israel with essentially the same message. But what also do you hear in this passage? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God. How? With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. When Jesus is challenged by the legalist on, on what is the greatest commandment, what is Jesus' response to that? We just, in fact, Midrash folks, we studied that yesterday. Jesus repeated the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. Do you see here, do you see here that there is this, this link from the beginning of the Hebrew people to the time of Jesus and, and for the people of Jesus today, there is this direct link that cannot be denied between loving fully and obeying fully. Do you see that the two cannot be separated? In fact, Jesus, several places in the Gospel of John, gives us a summary sentence. That's right. Those who obey my commands are the ones who love me. If you love me, you will obey what I teach. So if adoration, friends, is love, then what also is adoration? It's obedience. You see, we don't love because we Feel, the feeling follows the obedience, let me tell you. It's not that the feelings are wrong. I'm not saying that. But we don't lead with it. That's not the definition of it. We lead with obedience. If we love God, we will faithfully obey God. If I love Catherine, who's in the other room with the kids right now, I'm, I'm going to absolutely do what she needs of me. I'm going to do what she asks of me because I am her loving husband and vice versa. Love is expressed in what we do. Now listen. Solomon says in Proverbs 4, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ears to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. See here, it's words of obedience. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. This concept of love and adoration is something that flows from the heart. 
it is, it is expressed in what we do, but it flows from the heart. If we don't do what is loving and, and adoring toward God, it means we have a heart condition. You follow me? You follow me? It comes from the heart. So now, let's get back to, to Joshua's dialogue here. We have all this commentary now floating there. Let's, let's bring it down into what Joshua actually says to these leaders of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. He says, they are to keep the commandments given by Moses. This is verse 5 of our passage today. Number one, to love the Lord their God. And there is in this Hebrew word for love a very important piece of the puzzle which I am convinced in today's age is not just overlooked, it's forgotten. Remember, what did Jesus say to the church at Ephesus? You lost your first love. I think we're there. I think we're there. We've got to be careful. Because this component of love, that this Hebrew word is very much enveloped in this Hebrew word, is respect. And I think much of the church in the United States today has lost respect for God. He's some being somewhere out there, kind of ethereal, kind of um, unknowable, kind of untouchable. How do you respect something like that? God is no longer the personal God of the Bible that we have a relationship with. We've lost our our respect for God. So he's, the first thing he says, you know, love your God. Number two, he says, walk in all his ways. Now let me just say something practical here about walking in his ways. Who's the creator of the universe? Are we, are we all on the same page with that? So who designed everything? The creator, God. So... If he's the creator, do you think maybe he knows how everything works or is supposed to work? Think maybe that's true? So when we talk about walking in his ways, if I just get practical here for a second, it simply means if, we are, if we're listening to him and we're pursuing him and we're trying to walk in his ways, by walking in his ways, it means that we as his people are trying to live in a way that is according to to his divine design of how the world's supposed to work. And when we push up against that, that's when things go kablooey. That's a theological word. Are you with me? God gives us his ways, not because he's some kind of a meanie trying to take all the fun out of life. He gives us his ways because he says, this is how this is supposed to work. And when we go, man, that didn't go well. God says, I told you, doesn't work that way. Let's do it my way. So we are to walk in all his ways. Are we all on the same page? We follow? Third, to obey his commands. God's commands, Paul says they aren't burdensome. And I love that because people think his commands are burdensome. God gives commands in the Old Testament and in the New Testament for primarily one reason, protection. His commands 
are not there to beat us up. His commands are there to protect us. He can see the dangers we can't. He can also see the dangers we can that we're estimating, how much is that going to cost me? And we're going that way anyway. How many, come on, am I the only one that's ever done that in my life? Count the cost. Uh, that might be worth it. No, it's never worth it. <laughs> There's this, illustri- I almost stuck it on the screen today. There's this illustration Michael showed me years ago of uh, a, a cartoon, a couple of guys that are, are arguing over the word of God and there's this, this uh, railing and the guy says, I'm, what, what is the exact wording? I'm not going to, they're so uh, corralling and the guy says, it's not a fence, it's a guardrail and, and the guy, as he jumps over it because he's not going to be confined by, the, by God's laws, he realizes the other side is a cliff and the guardrail was put there not to confine him but to protect him. God's commands are not to beat us up. They're not there to take all the fun out of life. In fact, and it's really hard for people that aren't walking with Jesus, it's really hard to explain this to them. God's commands actually, I think there's an element where we can actually say they are there to help us enjoy life. Really. That, that by walking in God's commands, and this sounds so counterintuitive to worldly people, but by walking in God's commands life actually can become more fun because we are protected. All those things that actually mess up our life, we are guarded from. To hold fast to him, number four. We are designed for relationship from the very beginning. I told you God doesn't need us. Do you remember when I said that? What was the very next sentence I said a few weeks ago when I said that? Do you remember? He doesn't need us, but... Well, we do need him, but that's not what I said. He desires us. He doesn't need us, because he doesn't need anything. He's, he's fully complete in and of himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he wants us. He desires us. He created us to lavish his love on us us. He created us because he wants us to reflect his glory and experience all the wonders of life in his presence. We are created for relationship. We are designed for intimacy. That is why when on an earthly level people are separated from each other and they have no intimacy, they become unhealthy very often is because we are all designed for intimacy. And God is fine with us finding intimacy on the horizontal level as long as first and foremost we find intimacy on the vertical level with him, you see. We are to remain in God's presence. And it was Satan's ploy to fill us with sin so that we would be cast away from God's presence. And God's been working the entire scriptural story to get us back to bring us back into relationship. Again, we talked about this last week. What is Jesus' name? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. We are designed to remain in his presence. So hold fast to him. And finally, Joshua says to serve him with their whole heart and soul. He's speaking here to a 
a set of leaders of tribes that have not done this in the past. And he's blessing them. And he's saying, guys, look, right now you are good with God. You fulfilled the mission. And he's going to lavish on you the same plunder that the other tribes are going to get. We are one big family of God. And I want you to know, this has redeemed you. you. You are included with us. But here's how it works, guys. You still have ongoing responsibilities. You need to love God with everything you are. Respect Him. You need to walk in His ways. You need to obey His commands. You need to hold fast to Him. You need to serve Him with all your heart and soul. Do you see how all these pieces come together in what we are describing as adoration? Are you beginning to see how that picture comes together? You see, our adoration of God starts with a deep and real respect for God. And churches that really are on automatic pilot and don't respect God, Christians that, that go through life not even thinking about God, let alone respecting Him, they don't have that. They can't adore Him because they don't respect Him. A key component is missing. They need to get back to respecting Him so they can adore Him. It continues in full obedience, knowing that His ways are best and His plans protect us. Ever starting out every day, Father, I want to know and follow Your commands. I don't want to push up against Your commands. I don't want to rebel against Your commands because I know Your commands are for my freedom. I want to follow You. And as we do that, we lay the foundation for more adoration. It strives to remain intimately in His presence because we understand that is what we were designed to do. I want to be in your presence. I want to be in your presence in the kitchen while eating breakfast and, and, and making coffee, which is a very important drink in the morning, isn't it? I want to be in your presence when I'm in the car driving to work. I want to be in your presence in my cubicle or office or wherever I happen to work. I want to be in your presence when I'm, I'm working out. I want to be in your presence when I'm playing. I want to be in your presence when I'm sleeping. I want to be in your presence all the time. And as I am awake and alert and able, I want to serve you with all of my heart and with all of my soul and with all of my intellect and with all of my physical strength. I want to love you, adore and love, synonymous terms, with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. I want to adore the Lord, have a lifestyle that adores the Lord with every fiber of my being. Can anybody else say amen to that? Amen. Now here's the cool part, if that wasn't cool enough. The characteristics of real love and adoration. I really had to limit this. There are so many places to talk about love and adoration toward God in the scriptures. So I'm, just, I'm, I'm pulling out just a few, but I want you to see this. What are the things that we need most from our relationship with God? Now as I ask that question, I'm making an assumption you already are in Christ. Okay, so forgiveness is already there. Redemption has already happened. You, no, you now have a relationship with God in Jesus Christ. That's the starting point, okay? So now, in that relationship, what are the things that you and I need most? I love this. Number one, when we are consistent in our adoration, God hears our prayers. Check out the verses that I've got listed in your outline. How many of you want to know that God hears your prayers? If there's a foundation of adoration, God hears your prayers. It's the way it works. When we are consistent in our adoration, 
God gives us strength. You know, a lot of you know my story and, and the, the health struggles that I've had over the last five years. And there are seasons, whole seasons, where I had no strength whatsoever. It was everything I could possibly do to express adoration toward God. But in that comes a strength that is not my own. See? How many of us have ever just said to God, Lord, I need strength. Miss Peg, how about it? Ever feel that way? Yeah. It's in adoration that God's strength just flows. In spite of the circumstances. It has nothing to do with circumstances. Not at all. If we adore rightly, it encompasses all of our life. And so all of a sudden, it begins to take over everything. It, your, your relationships with your friends and your neighbors, the, the way that you live your life, the way that you work your job, it takes over everything. When we love rightly the Lord, we will hate evil and he will protect us. How many of you have that same stinking sin that just keeps coming back to haunt you over and over and over again? You want to overcome that thing? Start adoring God. Because when you adore God, when you are expressing love to God, when you are working toward obedience to God and you're saying every day, Father, help me adore you more, you will hate that sin. Your desire for that sin, that want, will turn to hatred. And in doing so, God cuts it off and protects you. Because that's what adoration does. It protects us. His laws protect us. See? See how this all fits together? When we truly love God, I love this, we will be known by Him. I can express this to you theologically, but only God can express this to you in reality. And that is, if you have surrendered to Jesus Christ... You are God's most precious son or daughter. Period. You are worth the life of his only begotten son, Jesus. That's how much he values you. You will be known by him in ways you can't even fathom. When we love God rightly, we will also love each other because it'll just start flowing. It'll just start flowing. The scripture says, we love because he first loved us. When we have the horizontal love relationship right, the ver we have the vertical love relationship right, the horizontal love relationship works itself out. Um, if we truly love God, we will obey his commands and overcome the world because his commands are not burdensome. When we love God truly, he shows himself to us. We'll get to know him so intimately. So intimately. Listen. As we grow in our adoration of God, our adoration of Christ, we will see growth in every one of these areas. The foundation for all of them is our love and adoration of God. Reverence, awe, that's what we experience in God's presence in worship. Adoration, love, is what we do, what we choose in worship. And after our special break next week with uh, Father John Davis as he comes to talk about 
Worship is a way of life. The, the last piece of the definition, worship as glory, is what we give back, what we reflect to our God. It's an incredible thing. And friends, you are made for this. So I leave you with this question. How are you consistently adoring God? And if you're not, what's stopping you? Let's pray. Jesus, I can't speak for anybody else, but I can tell you I'm pretty sure I get in my own way on this one. And so my prayer is, help me. Because this is what I want. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for the Palmwood Podcast. If you'd like more information about Palmwood Church and its ministry, see our website at palmwoodchurch.com. Have a blessed day.